Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Svela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. Today I'm going to tell you the third and final piece of the story of Percival and his quest for the Grail. Now you might recall in part two that Percival, who started off as a very callow young man, is now becoming not only a very fine and famous knight, but also a man. He has met his mentor, Gornamont, who taught him about the tools and tricks and codes of the trade of knighthood. And he has met his lady, Blanche Fleur, who not only loves him, but has also inspired him to a certain kind of greatness. Percival, however, is still on the road home because he can't forget about his mother, who he left behind in rather dire straits. Now, last time I pointed out to you that these things that are happening to him are not things that he's making happen. These are things that are appearing for him. Life is shaping him. And I think that is one of the things that is easier for us to observe in stories of the quest than in some of the stories that we normally tell about heroes, quote-unquote. And it is, in fact, the truth that life makes us. I have also said that you can read this story as a journey in consciousness, and I think that the maturation process here is pretty obvious. But there's also something going on here about the relationship between the inner and outer masculine and feminine qualities in Percival. You can imagine that Blanche Fleur is his inner feminine counterpart. And we have trouble talking about these things because we immediately get bogged down in gender roles. But what I'm talking about here is developing a full complement of human capacities in action and in feeling, in soul and spirit and mind. All of these things are happening here. And as we're going to see in this last part of the story, there is another dimension to Percival's destiny. There is a deeper significance to his calling. And this is true for each of us. Percival and his quest for the Grail, part three. Well, Percival rode all day when he left Blanchefleur, and he didn't meet another soul. And as he rode along, he prayed to God that he was going to be allowed to see his mother alive and healthy again. And finally, he arrived at another river, very deep and fast, and there was no question of crossing it. So he walked his horse up and down along the banks, trying to figure out what to do. There didn't seem to be a bridge. There didn't seem to be a boat. And then he looked out into the river and he saw two men in a small boat. One of them was fishing. And seeing no other option, Percival called out to them, Franz, hey, if you please, is there a bridge across this river? And the man who was fishing yelled back, No, there's no bridge and there's no ferry or large boat either. 
There's no way across for miles and miles. Can you tell me where I might find lodging for the night then? Percival asked. And the man said, yes, well, if that's what you need, uh, you can stay with me. I'll be your host tonight. Go back the way you came to the crack in the rocks, pass through that into a valley, and there you'll find my house. Okay, thank you, said Percival. And he went back the way that the fisherman had instructed and eventually found the crack, but when he went through, there was no valley and there was no sign of a house. Now, what am I hunting up here for, he thought in disgust. That guy was just playing with me to make me miserable. But then the clouds shifted, and he saw that there was a valley far below, and he could make out a beautiful turret of gray-brown stone. Oh, bless that fisherman after all, Percival said, and he hurried down to the place. Well, when he got down there, the drawbridge was down, and so he conveniently rode right in, and he was immediately greeted and assisted by pages who took his armor and led his horse off to water and food, and and he was taken into a great square hall. In the center, there was a roaring fire in a chimney of bronze, and a grizzled old knight, dressed all in black, was kind of laying back on his arms on a bed in front of it. The servants led Percival to the man. And when he got closer, Percival saw that it was the fisherman from the boat. Forgive me, said his host, for not rising to greet you, but I can't stand, so maybe you'll come and sit next to me. And Percival sat down in the place indicated, and the man asked him, Where did you come from today? Well, from the castle of Blanchefleur, Percival said. Well, that's quite a long journey, said the man. You must have well, you must have been riding for days. Oh, no, said Percival. It was just this afternoon, I assure you. At this moment, a servant came into the hall with a beautiful sword and a sword belt, and he brought it up to the man and said, This is a gift from your niece. She says that the maker of this sword is one of the finest craftsmen in the land, and he has only made three swords. This is one of them, and he's not going to make any more. It can only be broken under one condition, which only the maker knows, and she wants you to have it to give to whoever you want. Well, the man gestured to Percival to take the sword and examine it, and He did, and it was very beautiful. It was made of gold and silver and inlaid with precious jewels and very light but strong. I think that sword was meant for you, my friend, said the man. So you, I want you to have it. Thank you, Percival said. You do me a great honor. I accept. And the page took the sword and laid it with Percival's other belongings. And now servants brought in a table and a white tablecloth and candles and started to prepare for the evening meal. And then a strange thing happened. A servant entered the hall carrying a white lance with a white spearhead. He carried it upright with the point up in the air 
and his hands in the center. And he slowly walked to the two, towards the two men, and as he approached, Percival saw that a drop of blood slowly rolled down from the iron point until it reached the servant's hand. Wow, Percival thought, what a wondrous sight. A lance that bleeds. I wonder what it means. And he was very curious about this, but he remembered what Gornamont had told him about talking and asking questions, and so he kept quiet. The servant continued walking across the room in front of them, and he went into a door on the other end. And then two other servants came in, carrying huge golden candle holders that held at least ten candles each. And a girl came in, carrying a grail chalice encrusted with gemstones. And she carried it in both hands. And as soon as she walked into the room, it seemed that the light was so bright from this grail dish that all the candles seemed dim. And then another girl appeared carrying a silver platter. And they all got in line with the the young woman carrying the grail first. And they proceeded through the hall and went into that same mysterious door at the other end. And Percival watched everything very closely and he wondered about the nature of this procession and he wondered who was in the other room but he kept quiet now the servants brought them water to wash their hands and they cleaned up and they had their meal and it was course after course of fine food and drink a variety that Percival had never seen before And three times throughout the course of the meal, the grail was carried back and forth, and every time taken into the door in the back, and every time Percival watched and wondered, and he almost asked his questions, but he remembered Gornemont's advice. Hmm, he thought to himself, you know, I... I can make a quiet inquiry about this in the morning. At last the meal was done, and the men talked for a little while, and then it got late, and it was clear that his host was tired. It's time that I go to bed, he said. My servants will take me to my room, and you can sleep here in the hall. Just ask the servants for whatever you need, and they'll make you a comfortable bed here. So they said good night, and the servants came with the litter, and they picked up the man, and they carried him away. And the other servants stayed, and Percival asked them for a bed, and they made him up one with fine linens and blankets. And he laid down and thought about the mysteries of the evening. I am definitely going to ask a servant about all of this in the morning, he thought. And then he fell into a sound sleep. Well, the sun was well up in the sky when he awoke in the next morning, and he called for servants, but nobody came. In fact, the place seemed remarkably quiet. And finally, somewhat annoyed, he got up and he got dressed unassisted, and he saw that somebody had left his armor all cleaned and oiled on a table in the hall, And but he didn't see anybody. 
and he tried all the doors to the other rooms, and everything was locked, and so finally he went to the end of the room and looked down the steps where he had come in before the night before, and there was his horse all saddled up and waiting for him. And he yelled some more, and nobody answered him, and so finally he went down and got on his horse. Very strange, he thought. But I guess maybe everybody's out hunting her in the fields, in the fields, right, outside of the castle. He slowly threw, rode through the courtyard to the gate. There were no soldiers, no knights. The drawbridge was down. So he was he was free to leave. So he rode across the drawbridge, and just as he and his horse got to the very end, suddenly he felt the horse's legs rise, and he gave a swift leap over to the other side because the drawbridge was going up before they even got all the way across. They could have been hurt. Percival turned around very angrily and called out, You there! Who raised the bridge? Come out where I can see you. But nobody answered. And so at last he gave up and he rode into the forest. Now he found a fresh path of hoof prints, and so he followed those, thinking that they would probably be servants or somebody who was associated with the castle, somebody that he could ask about the events from the night before. When suddenly he came upon a young woman, and she was weeping inconsolably, because in her lap she was cradling a dead knight whose head had been cut off. Oh, my God, she cried, why did you take my beloved from me and leave me behind? You should have killed me, too because now I have nothing to live for. Percival rode up to her. Can I help you? he asked. Well, only if you can bring my beloved knight back to life, she said. I don't have any reason to live now. But I have to ask you, where did you come from? There's no lodging that's safe and clean for miles and miles and miles, but your horse looks well-fed and you look well-rested. Well... There's a there's a castle just through the trees there, Percival said, and I had a very comfortable night there. You obviously don't know this country very well, or else you haven't explored it. Well, the young woman shook her head. My lord, she said, were you at the castle of the rich fisher king? Well, I don't know if he was a king, said Percival, but he was wise, and he was very wealthy, and I did see him out in a boat fishing. Well, he's a king, she told him. And he was wounded in battle. He was maimed. And he's in so much pain that he can't walk or ride. But sometimes he goes fishing when he needs to relax because he can no longer hunt. Well, that was definitely him, said Percival. It was a great honor, said the young woman. Very few people find the castle of the Fisher King. So tell me, did you see the lance that bleeds? And Percival nodded. Did you ask why it bleeds? No, said Percival. I didn't say I didn't say a word. Did you see the grail? she asked. And the candle holders and the silver platter? And Percival nodded again. Yes, I I did. Did you ask where they came from? No. Did you ask where they were going or what they were doing? No. Not a word escaped from my lips, Percival told her. Well, these are very great mysteries, she said. Very few find the castle, even fewer glimpse the grail, and you didn't speak? Oh, this is really bad news. Tell me your name. 
and somehow he knew. And although he had never spoken it before, he said, I'm Percival of Wales. Oh, the young woman got very upset. Well, you, you might as well call yourself Percival the Unhappy, Percival the Unfortunate. You know, a question from you would have healed the king and his lands. You could have done a great deal of good, but now there's just going to be suffering. This is probably the result of your mother's death. You know, you caused your mother's death. She died of grief. And I know this because I'm your cousin and I was there. I saw her. I saw her buried. Oh, Percival said, this is terrible news. She was all that I was seeking, and now if she's dead, well, I might as well set off in a new direction. So why don't you come with me? It's not good to stay here with this corpse. And I'll avenge his death. Oh, nothing could make me go with you, the young woman said. I'm not leaving my knight until he's properly buried, and I think you should go on that paved road over there. That is the way that the, the haughty knight who killed him went. Not that I think that you should go after him, even though I do hate him. And tell me, though, uh, where did you get that sword? I can see that that's a weapon that's never drawn blood. I recognize it, and I know who made it. Well, I just got it from my host yesterday, Percival said, and I I thought it was a really excellent gift until you said what you just did. Are you telling me the truth? Well, if it breaks, you'll have to take it to Trebuchet. He's the only one who can fix it. Well, I'm going to be very sorry if it ever does break, Percival said, and then he left her with her dead knight. Now, Percival came across the track of a staggering pony, all skin and bones, almost dead. Its head hung low. And on its back was a young woman who looked equally beat up and weathered. Her face was blotched and scarred from the wind and the sun, and her clothing was in tatters, and you could tell that she'd once been very beautiful, but now her hair was wild. And when he approached her, he overheard her, praying to God to let her die. I have suffered so much, God, she said. Please free me from this life of shame. You know that I don't deserve it. And when Percival rode up to her, she tried to cover herself. She was ashamed of how terrible she looked and how shredded her clothing was. Beautiful lady, he said. Well, thank you, she said, even though I know it's not true. And Percival blushed, and he said, I don't think I've ever met you before. And she said, oh, yes, you have. Uh, but I've fallen so low that nobody recognizes me anymore. Anyway, you need to go now. You need to leave before the haughty knight comes back, because if he finds you talking to me, he'll kill you. I mean, first he'll tell you why I'm suffering like this, but then he'll cut off your head. Well, just then, the knight emerged from the woods, and he saw the two of them talking, and so he started galloping towards them, yelling, now you've done it, talking to her. You can't get away from me. I'm going to kill you. But first, let me tell you why this girl lives in such shame. And he pulled up his horse and he started to tell the story. And it was the story about a young man who had stolen a kiss and a ring and some venison pie from this once lovely young lady while she waited alone and unguarded for the arrival of her knight. Well, she says that the fool took only a kiss and a ring, said the knight, but everyone knows that no man only takes a kiss. 
And women, they only pretend to fight. So since that day, she's followed me and endured her punishment. She's had no new clothes. Her horse hasn't eaten. And that's the way it's going to be until I find the man who did this. Well, you can stop torturing her now since Percival, because it was me. I stole the kiss and the ring and some pie, but that is actually all that I took. You admit it, said the haughty knight. Well, you're brave and you're stupid, so now you're going to die. And the two began to fight. And, of course, Percival prevailed. The haughty knight was forced forced to beg for mercy. Well, I'm going to show you the kind of mercy that you've shown her, said Percival. But the knight swore that he loved his lady and said that he would do anything to make amends. And so Percival ordered him to take the young woman to the nearest house to bathe and rest, to dress her in nice clothes, to take care of her horse. And when she feels better and has regained her beauty, both of you go to the court of King Arthur, he said, and you tell the whole court how you have treated this young woman. And you tell the king that the knight in red sent you, and then you place yourself in the hands of the king and his service. Well, this is what was done. And in fact, the knight did love his lady, and she recovered fairly quickly. And when they got to the court, yet again, another amazing story of this unknown red knight. Well, King Arthur, he'd had enough of the mystery. I can't believe that we sent him off without finding out who he was or why he wanted to be a knight, said the king. But now I vow that I will not sleep indoors two nights in a row until I have found him. So the entire court was packed up at once. Even the queen and the ladies went. And that night they camped in a meadow at the edge of the woods and the snow fell. Percival was up early as always, on the hunt for adventure, when he came to the meadow and the king's camp. It was very early, so everything was all still. Before he even saw the tents, he watched a flock of geese flying, and he noticed a falcon, and the falcon dived and caught one of the birds in its talons, and it then let the bird fall. And Percival went over to the place where the goose had fallen down, and he saw three drops of bright red blood on the snow. And this combination of the red and the white reminded him of Blanche Fleur's complexion, and he was overcome by memories of her and fell into a deep reverie. Now when members of the king's camp woke up, they saw this strange knight out on his horse, unmoving, and so they went to tell a knight named Sagramor. Is he armed? Sagramore asked, and they said, yes, he is. And so Sagramore got dressed, and he rode out to meet this knight who was sitting out in the snow. And he greeted Percival, but Percival was so deep in his memories that he didn't hear him. And eventually Sagramore got angry, and he threatened, and then he challenged this still silent knight. And at last he lowered his lance, and he rode at Percival. But Percival saw him coming, and he met his blow with such force that Sagramore was knocked from his horse and forced to go back to the camp in disgrace. King Arthur and Sir Kay were watching this. Well, I'll go get him, Sir Kay declared. So he went out, and Percival didn't answer him either. 
and he also got angry with the silent knight and challenged him, and he too was defeated. In fact, Percival's blow broke his arm, and several of the pages had to go out and fetch him. Well, now the king was very upset about what was going on, and it so happened that his nephew, Sir Gawain, was there. My king, said Sir Gawain, it's not polite for a knight to intrude on another knight's thoughts, and I don't know about those other two, I don't know if they were right or wrong, but maybe the silent knight's heart is full of grief, so I think I'll go out and meet him, and and if he's able to listen to me, I'll invite him back to your court. Gawain rode out to Percival, and the snow was melting, and his reverie was slipping away. And so when Gawain rode out, without any hostility, he was quick to answer. I have been lost in thoughts of my beloved, he told Gawain, and those other fellows, they insisted on interrupting. Who were they? Knight Sagramore and Sir Kay, said Gawain, and you broke Kay's arm. Oh, said Percival. Well, then the girl he struck has had her revenge. Oh, said Gawain, then you must be the one that the king is hunting. Will you come to the court? And what is your name? I am Percival of Wales, said Percival. So Percival went with Sir Gawain to join the court in the assembled tents, and a celebration was held in his honor, and for two days and nights the company enjoyed food and drink and music and dancing and games, and they told all of these stories of Percival's amazing victories and exploits. But on the third morning, the festivities ground to a halt. Everybody was gathered in the great hall when suddenly the door was flung open and in rode a hideous, ugly woman on a scrawny mule. She was all bandy-legged. She had eyes like a rat. She was hunchbacked. Nasty. She rode right up to Percival. Greetings to Arthur and his court, she said, and especially to you, Percival of Wales. May curses fall on whoever greets you. It was too much trouble, I suppose, to ask a simple question or two in the presence of the Grail and the Fisher King. Why didn't you ask? Why does the lance bleed? Why didn't you ask? Whom does the Grail serve? You had your chance, and you didn't grasp it, and so now there will be great suffering for many people, for a long, long time. And then she turned and rode away. And the room was totally silent. Percival looked around the party, and he was full of shame. Slowly he stood up, and he said, I pledge to find the grail, and I will not spend two nights in one place until I find it. I will test every strange thing until I write this terrible wrong that I have committed. And without another word, Percival mounted his horse and left the court of King Arthur to make his own path through the forest and complete his quest for the grail. Now, I mentioned at some point earlier that Christian de Troyes never finished this story. Now, he actually does go on and write for a while. He writes about Sir Gawain. And Percival does appear at a couple of different points. He meets a hermit who helps him get over the guilt that he feels. But he never does find the grail. 
Now, as unusual as that might be, we're so used to tidy and wrapped up endings. I think that the mysteries that this story leaves us with and the unfinished nature of Percival's quest is exactly and perfectly on the point. What is the grail? The grail is your knowledge of yourself or whatever it is that you assign the highest value to. And will this be something that you can understand? No. Will it be something that completes you? Yes. Is there a blueprint for that process? Of course not. The story takes us as far as it can take us. It tells us the things that are generally true for most of us, about the need for teaching, the need for inspiration, about the way that we cause damage, and about the connection between an expansion of consciousness and self-awareness and the loss of innocence. The loss of innocence. That is something that is easy to say and difficult to bear. In fact, that may be one of the biggest challenges that we face. The loathly lady, she is a mysterious symbol that is connected to that. Is she ugly or is the way that we see ugly? What needs to change? Our eyes? She appears in another story that I'll suggest to you. It's one that I think I told on this program, Sir Gawain and Lady Ragnell. If you'd like to explore the theme of the loathly lady in the Arthurian legends a little bit further. Well, that's it for me, Catherine Savela. I hope you've enjoyed this story. I have definitely enjoyed sharing it with you. I'd like to thank you for listening. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, happy mythmaking and keep the mystery, the mystery in your life alive. Mm-hmm.